All right, good morning, guys. It is good to see you. Um, yeah, as, as Daniel said, we had an awesome weekend at Manmakers. I had a great time. Um, brought a lot back. Not all of my hair. Uh, did not make it all the way back for, uh, from Manmakers. I uh, had a little bit of an accident with a razor uh, on Friday morning. But um, nonetheless, we had, we had a, a great time. I'm sure you'll be hearing uh, stories of what happened. Um, but yeah, if you're a girl, totally go to Women's Weekend next weekend. I, you will not regret that. It's an awesome experience. Well, Man Makers is an awesome experience, so I assume Women's Weekend is as well. Um, but I am excited about what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at the story of Gideon. But uh, before we get into that, I actually have a really deep theological video that I want you to watch and reflect on, and then we'll, we'll get into the meat of the sermon. All right. So... Uh, where did the dog treats? Does, does anyone know how to do that trick? I would love to, to learn how to do that. Um, now, obviously, that's a funny video. The, the reason that I wanted to show it, though, is because I think that we can all relate to uh, having something kind of just disappear on us. You know, it's like, you know that that dog treat still exists. Like, somewhere in the universe, that, that dog treat is out there. Uh, but we just don't know what happened to it. Like, it was there, and all of a sudden, it's gone. And I think that um, all of us can relate to having some experiences like that where, like, man, I have just, I, I, I know this has to be somewhere, but I just lost it. Like, I haven't worn glasses uh, my whole life. I really don't need them that bad. Like, I can make it through without them. Uh, but it helps me see far away. And so because of that, like, I don't wear my glasses all the time, and I'm prone to misplacing them a lot. Um, and there was a few years back, somehow my glasses just disappeared. It was like, I don't know how that happens. I, it's been years that I've never found them since. Um, don't know what happened. They're just gone. They never showed up. Uh, same with one of our car keys. Like, we just lost it one time. We've lived, me and Cass have lived in the same house the whole time we've been married. Four years, that car key has never shown up for however long it's been gone. I don't, like, how is that possible? Like, you can't, like, lose your car key out somewhere and still drive the car back, but... Somehow, like, the car key has never been found. Um, and I, I know that, like, you guys have probably experienced that before. And the frustration is even worse uh, when you, like, really, really need that thing that you lost, okay? Um, Andy Wygant lived with me for a while uh, when he came back from Belgium, and he, like, lost his passport, and he needed, <laughs> he needed to go back to Belgium to take this exam. It's like, man, okay, that's even worse now, because how am I going to go back and take the final exam? Turns out, of all places, the passport was in his suitcase. <laughs> but um, now we're going to be looking at a story this morning of a guy named Gideon, and he uh, felt like God had vanished um, from Israel. He's like, man, we know that God's here. We've heard all of these awesome stories of all these things that he's done for us in the past. We know that uh, he was a mighty God that brought us up out of Egypt and brought us in the promised land, but he's vanished. Where is he now? And I think that a lot of you guys can probably relate to what Gideon was feeling, where you've experienced that, man, God has, has interacted with you in some powerful way at some point in your life. But maybe right now you feel like he's vanished. You're not seeing him. You don't know where he went. Just like that dog treat, we know it's out there, but we can't see it. So... If you would pray with me this morning, we're going to jump into our scripture and we're going to see what we can do about that. Um, God, we love you so much. I thank you uh, that you are an awesome and powerful God. Lord, I thank you that you haven't vanished, Lord. Even sometimes when uh, it seems like we can't find you. God, there are times that we um, 
can remember the things that you've done, but we just, we just don't know where you are, Lord. And I pray that you'd speak to us in those moments. I pray that you'd speak to us this morning, uh, that you would teach us uh, through the story of Gideon and what you did with Israel thousands of years ago. Uh, God, give us insight into your word. Encourage us, build us up this morning, and bring us closer to you. Uh, we love you, and it's in your son's awesome name we pray. Amen. Cool. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Judges chapter 6. That's the main place we're going to be. Uh, the story of Gideon is actually kind of long. It spans Judges chapters 6 through 8. Uh, we're not going to get into all of that. I'm only going to be able to read some of that scripture. I'm going to have to summarize the rest of it. Uh, but the bulk of where we're going to be is in uh, Judges chapter 6. Now, to bring you up to speed on kind of what's been going on here, uh, we've done a few big picture sermons recently trying to set up this series of Judges. We're going to get into a little bit more of the details now. And uh, to let you know where they are, the Israel is living in this promised land. Okay, it's called that because this is a land that God had promised to Abraham long ago that he would give this, this land to his descendants. And they went through all this, this stuff before they were able to get there, though. They were enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. They wandered through a desert for 40 years. And then they had to, not only did they get to go into the land, but they had to conquer it. So they had to fight off all of these enemies going into there. And they did an okay job with that at first, but they weren't really super faithful with actually getting rid of all of the enemies living in the land that they were supposed to. And instead, they started mixing in with these people. And with that uh, came a lot of idolatrous practices, and Israel started to become corrupt, and their hearts started to turn away from the Lord. And with that, God had warned them, man, if you guys turn away from me, then I'm going to take away the blessing that I promised that I would give you. And so they would, they would start to bring lots and lots of problems upon themselves. And that's what Israel started to experience because of the lack of faithfulness that they had in coming into the promised land. Uh, now with this, a lot of these nations, not only did they corrupt Israel, but they would also do awful things to them, like kill them and burn their crops and enslave them and various other things. And uh, the particular tribe that, or the particular nation that was giving a lot of trouble to Israel at this time uh, was a group called the Midianites. Now, uh, throughout time to time, Israel would call out to the Lord. They'd say, we're sorry for what we've done. And God would raise up a leader to depose of this oppressor uh, that Israel had. And that is what Gideon is. He's what we call a judge. That's where the, the book of Judges gets its name. Now, that's confusing for us because when we think of judge, we think like Judge Judy, like someone sitting in the courtroom. That's not, that's not what we're talking about, okay? Think more like Leonidas or something, okay? We're talking army generals, not, not Judge Judy. Uh, when we think of judges. And so that, that's what, what Gideon would become. Um, but when we get introduced to him, that's, that's not what he looks like at first. So anyway, the Midianites were being terrible to Israel. And what they would do is every time Israel would go out and uh, plant their crops, they would come in and just ravage the harvest, okay? Uh, they would trample over all their crops. And basically, they were starving Israel to death. And that's a serious problem. Um, so uh, we're going to pick it up in Judges Chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, it says this. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It is I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors, and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. 
Okay, so Israel's calling out because they have a serious problem on their hands. And what's the first thing that God does? He ends up sending them a prophet. Okay, and I think that this prophet had a, a couple reasons for why he was sent. First off, and this is the one that you might think of initially, is that he was called to remind them of their sin. Uh, if you look back to what Moses warned about in Deuteronomy, saying, hey, these are the things that are going to happen to you if you turn away from the Lord, that's exactly what happened. They were being unfaithful and they were experiencing the curses that God promised would come. And so he's reminding them of their sin. Now, uh, because, just because something bad happens to you doesn't necessarily mean that God is punishing you, okay? There's a lot of instances where that's not the case. Um, Jesus points out some cases like that in the gospel. Daniel talked a, a couple weeks ago about the story of a guy named Joseph. He had a bunch of bad stuff happen to him. It wasn't exactly his fault. So there's lots of cases like that. But in this case, it was their fault. Like, they had brought these problems upon themselves. And so this, Israel's, uh, this, this prophet is called to Israel to bring them a stern rebuke, to let them realize, hey, you guys have brought this upon yourself, and you need to come to repentance, okay? You realize what's caused the problem. You need to come back and, and, and turn away from that. So in, in this first, this stern rebuke is meant to cause repentance. And sometimes, as Christian friends, we need to be willing to give that stern message to one another. Sometimes we need to hear that. Sometimes we need to realize, man, I'm living in sin and I need a prophet to come to me and give me a stern rebuke. Sometimes I might have a Christian friend that, that has proclaimed the love for the Lord, but it's not walking in his ways. And I need to be a good friend, a, a, just like this prophet was to Israel, and to go and say, hey, you, you need to turn back to the Lord. You're not doing what's right here. Okay, but guess what? That's not the only function of the prophet. Not only did he bring them a stern rebuke, but he also came to remind them of the power of the Lord. Look at what the message is that he gave them. He said, he, he recounted the history of what God had done and how he had brought Israel up out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so not only was he calling them to repentance, but he was reminding them of the power of the God that they serve. And that, yes, I am a God that can deliver. I've done it in the past, and I can do it again in the future. So not only does he call them to repentance, but he calls them to hope. And that if you do repent, if you do turn to the Lord, you will, you have a God that is strong and mighty, the mighty warrior that we sang about at the beginning of this service, that can deliver you from the hands of your enemies. And so I would say this, in the times that the Lord is calling us to be prophets, that bring a stern rebuke, let us also be people that bring hope. Let us also be people that remind of the power of the Lord. Don't leave it just that you did wrong sucks to be you. Bring it back around as well to, but there's a mighty God that wants to redeem you. He's done it in the past and he can do it again in the future. So this prophet comes and uh, we actually aren't told exactly how Israel responds. Uh, but moving on, in verse 11 we get this. Um, not only does God send them a prophet, but now he's going to raise up a judge. Remember what a judge is. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Orpah which belonged to Joash the Ebiezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? 
he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an epaph of flour. And he put the meat in the basket and the broth in the pot and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. The angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it is still in Orpah of the Abiezrites. Okay, so there's a lot going on here uh, that I want to point out. We're introduced to Gideon, who would be the next judge of Israel. Uh, but we are also introduced to this character uh, that's referred to as the angel of the Lord. Now, uh, the angel of the Lord is really, really interesting, right? The, the word angel literally just means messenger, okay? So if it's more helpful for you, you could actually see this as being the messenger of the Lord. Um, so we see in some ways he seems to be distinct and different from the Lord. Yet at the same time, if you look at this... Uh, conversation that he's having with Gideon, the scripture is referring to this character as being the Lord himself. Look at this in verse 14. It says, the Lord looked at him and said, go this in your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Okay, he's not saying the Lord told me to say this. He said, the Lord looked at him. Okay, so this is giving us this indication that like the, this guy that's speaking to him is being referred to as the Lord. Uh, look at verse 16. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you will defeat Midian as one man. Not the angel. It's, I will be with you. The Lord is saying this. Um, look at what Gideon says to him. If I now have found favor in whose sight? Your sight. The one he's speaking to. Then show me a sign that it is who? You who speak with me. The angel performed the sign that Gideon asked him to perform. Which was supposed to do what? Be confirmation that it was the Lord that was speaking with him. So what are we to make of all this, right? This is kind of strange that this, this character is being referred to as the Lord. And you might say, oh, Grant, you're reading too much into it. He's just a, a mouthpiece for the Lord. I don't think that's what's going on here. Uh, not just because of everything that I said, but also look at Gideon's response in verse 22. It says, when Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Okay? Uh, that phrase, we kind of read that as like, oh, yes, I had this awesome experience. That's not what it is. It's like a, oh, crap. Like, I saw the Lord, like, I'm scared. I saw the Lord face to face. Why would he be scared? Right? We know he's scared because look at the Lord's response in verse 23. The Lord said to him, peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Okay, so, so Gideon obviously has in his mind that, oh my goodness, I'm speaking face to face with the Lord. All of a sudden, I'm scared that I'm going to die. Why is that? Well, because Gideon knew the scriptures. 
In Exodus 33:20, God says this about himself. He says, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. And every Israelite knew this. They were terrified of being able to see the Lord, right? Like, uh, sometimes we have this idea, it's like, oh man, I would love to see this, whatever. We don't understand the, the full majesty and the glory and the power of the Lord. And God says, you can't see me face to face. No man can see me and live. Yet, here's Gideon speaking face to face with this character called the angel of the Lord that's being referred to as the Lord. And God tells him that he's not going to die. So what is going on here? What I propose is that the solution to this, and what a lot of theologians have said as well, is that this angel of the Lord was actually Jesus. That this was the pre-incarnate Christ. This is something that we call a theophany, okay? Um, and you might be thinking, wait a second, didn't like, Jesus not come until like, he was born in the manger? No, like, Jesus is part of the Godhead. He was around in the beginning. Look at what John 1 1 and 2 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It goes on to talk about how this word, who was later revealed as being Jesus, uh, was, was actually facilitating the creation of the universe even. Jesus didn't just show up on the scene all of a sudden in 4 BC. He's part of the Godhead. He is eternal. He has been around from the beginning. He was there in the beginning. He was with God, and he was God. And here, what we get to see is God speaking face-to-face the same way that he did with Peter, the same way that he did with John, the same way that he did with many others. And as a matter of fact, you see this actually throughout the Old Testament. This thing that we're seeing here that we call theophany, which simply means God revealed, is not, uh, this is not the only place that this happens in in the Old Testament. Um, As a matter of fact, uh, we see this happen with Hagar. Hagar was um, the maid of Sarah, who was Abraham's wife. Uh, if you remember, she went out into the desert thinking that she was going to die, and the Lord comes and speaks to her, uh, the, or the angel of the Lord, and it's the same type of language there. Uh, he came to Abraham. If you look at Genesis chapter 18, uh, this angel of the Lord is talking to Abraham about the birth of Isaac and the coming doom of Sodom and Gomorrah. Same type of language. All that stuff I pointed out with Gideon, it's the same idea. Um, with Moses at the burning bush, once again, we see the angel of the Lord show up in Exodus chapter 3. Same type of language where this character that's being spoken to is being treated as the Lord himself. The Trinity is not a Christian concept that just comes about in the New Testament. We get so much more light of understanding it in the New Testament, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God, there's, there's evidence for the incarnation, what happened with Jesus taking on flesh uh, in the Old Testament, okay? Now, w- whether or not he actually had, like, the same nature of flesh they did as Jesus, I don't know. I don't know all the details of it. But the fact is, we see the Son being active in the world, even here in the Old Testament. And so I think that this is really awesome. One, I wanted to point this out to you just because, like, I think it's kind of mind-blowing and, and amazing. Um, but two, like, I want to open your eyes to seeing that like there is good evidence for Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. If you have Jewish friends that would say God could never take on flesh, he could never take on the form of a man, then go to these places like the Theophanies. What's going on here? Why, did, why, why are we looking at Gideon in, in the Judges chapter 6 speaking with this person, referring to the Lord, who, who he says, show me that it's you that speaks to me, and he performs that sign. Why is he afraid that he's going to die, and why does the Lord comfort him saying that he won't? 
you know, Jesus said in John 14 that he who has seen me has seen the Father. And so when it says that no man can see God face to face and live, I think that what that's referring to is the Father. Yet if you see Jesus face to face, you can live and you're still seeing God. So we have an awesome God. I I, I love that. Um, But anyway, uh, we we see all this stuff. So the the angel Lord is coming, speaking to Gideon. And um, the rest of this conversation is still pretty interesting, right? Uh, First, he, he comes and he calls Gideon a valiant warrior. Now, to let you know what Gideon was doing when this was happening is Gideon was actually hiding from the Midianites. It says that he was, um, beating, uh, that he, he was threshing his uh, wheat in, in the wine press. He was beating out his wheat in the wine press. So essentially, wine presses would, would be a place where he could go down in to hide out of sight from the Midianites because he's afraid that they're going to come in and destroy his food the way they were with everybody else. So essentially, he, he kind of comes off as being a coward to some degree. He's not, he's not a valiant warrior. He's not leading people out uh, against the Midianites. Instead, he's actually hiding from them, just hoping that he can squeak by. Yet God calls him a valiant warrior. And this makes me think that God sees us differently than we see ourselves a lot of times. Right? Like, I don't think Gideon had a very high opinion of himself. If you look throughout the, the rest of his conversation with the Lord, he keeps on coming up with excuse after excuse why he's not the guy that should get chosen, right? Like, he's the youngest in his family. He's from a weak tribe, Manasseh. Um, you know, the, this guy is like, he, he's, he's, no, he's a nobody. Why would God try and use somebody like him? Like, this dude is not a first-round draft pick, okay? I don't think he, he got picked first in gym class for any of the competitions, And yet, here God comes to him and says that he is a valiant warrior. And I think a lot of you guys probably see yourself the same way that Gideon saw himself. You live your life in fear. You think that you're not able to accomplish anything because you're nobody extraordinary. But you know what? Throughout the scriptures, God oftentimes chooses to use very average or maybe even below average people to do extraordinary things. Okay, we see this over and over, right? You remember David, David from da- you know David and Goliath. All this guy. That guy, he, he was the youngest of his brothers. He was such a footnote that his dad didn't even like think of bringing him when the, the prophet Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, and he knew that one of his sons was going to be there. Uh, you look at Moses, same type of deal. The guy had some sort of speech impediment. He didn't think that he would be able to be the guy that would lead Israel up out of Egypt. Um, how about the disciples? Okay, I mean, the disciples were like a bunch of uneducated, like, hillbillies, honestly. They were. Like, we would think of them as hillbillies. They were country bumpkins. Uh, uneducated. Like, yet they turned the world upside down. Like, God used these dudes that were misfits and, and changed the world with them. God loves to do that. Why? His power is made great in our weakness. You know, you, you look at this. Gideon, in, in some ways, was right about himself. In some ways, he was, in that he was weak. By himself, there was no way that he was going to deliver Israel from Midian. Not a chance, right? But why? Why is Gideon able to be a valiant warrior? Look at what God says to him. He says, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. That's what it's about. It's about the Lord fighting with Gideon, his valiant warrior. 
And, you know, as I said, we don't have time to get into all this story. God does an incredible thing. He, he, even though Gideon actually raises up this big army as like 32,000 people, God strips it down to 300 guys and they still beat Midian. Um, but anyway, like God loves to use weak people to show his power. And he's able to do extraordinary things through them. Now, when you look at what he tells Gideon about why he's going to be able to do this, is because he will be with him. And it sounds familiar to me. You know why? Because Jesus has called us to do something extraordinary well. Us average people sitting in here at the campus of the University of Cincinnati. You look at the Great Commission, you're familiar with it, I'm sure. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You notice something similar there? Gideon, go deliver people from Midian. He comes up with a million excuses. No, no, no. You're going to be able to do it. You know why? I'm going to be with you. Jesus tells his country bumpkin, hillbilly, uneducated disciples, hey, Go reach the world. Go make disciples. By the way, you know that you're on the other side of the world from where he said that? They, they did that. They made disciples of every nation. And uh, how? Surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We get to carry on that legacy. Has the end of the age come yet? No. Jesus is still with us. He's still with us in this extraordinary mission that he's given. And it's only by his power that we're going to be able to accomplish this. Jesus told his disciples shortly before he was betrayed in John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The one that abides in Jesus can bear much fruit. The one that abides in Jesus will be able to be faithful to this mission of going and making disciples. But what? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So how do we abide in Jesus? That, that word that, that's used there, abide, it means to stay or remain. So if we want to be people that bear fruit, we have to be people that stay and remain with Jesus. Let us be people that are waking up seeking him every single day. If you start to get off track and, and you kind of slip into a routine of just this is what I do and you forget to constantly be reminding yourself how much you need Jesus, to constantly be calling out to him for help, to constantly be remembering that he is the one that has to be with you to bear fruit. If you forget that, you will not live a fruitful Christian life. But if you abide, you remain, you stay with him, Jesus will use you to bear fruit. So you look at Gideon, he saw what he was called to, right? And naturally, he wasn't up to the task. He wasn't a valiant warrior, but God saw him that way. He understood the task that he had been given at this point. And really, he came to a crossroads. He had to decide if he really believed what God was telling him. Do I actually believe that God will be with me? If I raise up this army to go fight against Midian, if I put my life on the line, is he actually going to follow through? To put it simply, Gideon struggled with doubt. <laughs> and man, are we in the same boat or not? We struggle with doubt, don't we? We struggle that God is actually going to be with us as we go to make disciples. Heck, we struggle to, sometimes we struggle to think that he's even there, right? Like, look at what Gideon said in, in verse 13. If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And, and where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian? 
Just like those dogs that couldn't figure out where the treat went, Gideon couldn't figure out where his God went, and honestly, some of you guys probably can't figure out where God has gone in your life either. I know that some of you feel the same way, and you need God to prove himself to you. Gideon's faith was weak. But guess what? The Lord was gracious, and he actually did a lot to, uh, to prove himself to Gideon. I mean, how awesome was that? Gideon brings out this sacrifice and, like, fire springs up out of a rock and consumes it? That's awesome. Some of you guys, like, wish that God would reveal himself to you in that way, right? Not just because it would prove that God is real, but you just want to see fire spring up out of a rock? Like, Luke Hawker, that, that's you. I know that's probably your dream, just to see, see fire spring up out of rocks. But, but no, like, like so, so he gets to see that, right? And so you think that after God performs this miracle, Gideon would have no problem. And he's just going to go, and he's raising up this army, and, and, and he's going to fight it. And he's never going to doubt again, right? No, that's not what happens. Not even a little bit, actually. You know, Gideon, he, he did have faith. We saw that he built an altar. But you know what? Right after that, God tells him, okay, uh, I want you to go tear down your father's idolatrous altars. He had these altars to these foreign gods. He said, I, I want you to go tear those down. And Gideon's fear comes right back. He did it, but he did it at night. And the scripture explicitly says they did it at night because he was afraid of the people and what they would do to him. And so after that... Um, he, the, the town actually wanted to, to kill him, but his dad stood up for him, and he's like, hey, if, if Baal is offended by this, then let Baal contend with them. So he actually got this new name called Jerubel, which means the one who contends with Baal. Um, so you can call him Jerubel if, Baal if you prefer that over Gideon. But uh, anyway, after that, Gideon raises up this army to fight. And now you're thinking, okay, there's no doubt about it. Like, he's a man of faith. He's going to do a good job, right? No, Gideon doubts again. I'm sure you probably heard of his fleece, maybe. He puts this, he does this thing with the fleece where he, uh, the, the first night he puts it out and uh, he wants the fleece to be wet and the ground all around it to be dry. So that God will approve, yeah, this is really what I'm calling you to do. So he does that and God obliges. He puts it out, the, the fleece is wet and the ground all around it is dry. And he's like, okay, well, yeah, that was good, but like, I gotta be sure. So give me one more chance, but this time do it opposite. I want the fleece to be dry, and I want the ground all around it to be wet. And God obliges, and he does it again. Now, that's not a good example for what you should do, okay? Um, like, Gideon should have just been faithful to what the Lord did. But, but regardless, we see um, God was continually proving himself over and over and over again. And finally, uh, Gideon did become that valiant warrior that, the God, that, that God identified him as. He rose up an army, and he did defeat Midian. But just like Gideon, I think that we find ourselves in a spot where, man, we just need God to prove himself over and over. We need the fire coming out of the rock. We need the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet. And we need the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry. And we want all of these different things. And so it got me thinking, I'm like, man, what are, what are the things that God has done to prove himself to us the way that he did to Gideon? And I just started to think through my life and say, like, man, what are some of the ways that God has proven himself to me? That I can know that when, when Jesus promises and he tells me to go out and make disciples, that I can know that he actually is with me, even to the end of the age. And I thought about these things. First, let's see how God's proven himself to me through nature. He's proven himself through logic. He's proven himself through miracles. He's proven himself through prophecy. And he's proven himself through experience. I'm going to go through each of those here. Um, first, when I look at how God's proven himself through nature, uh, all you have to do is look out a window, which we don't have any of in this room. That, are, that you can see through right now. But 
you, you look at the order of our world, you look at the order of our universe, and it is mind-boggling. Uh, there, is no, there is no reasonable way that you can believe that everything that we have here just came about through chaos. Like, when has chaos ever resulted in order? Have you guys ever, like, tried to clean? You know, like, you have guests coming over to your house or whatever, and you're cleaning up. I do this all the time. And it's like, oh, we just got to get all this stuff out of the way. So you throw it in a closet or you throw it up in a different room or something. Have you ever, like, opened that closet and been like, oh, my goodness, like, my shirts all went on the hangers. And, like, my shoes went exactly where they're supposed to. Like, oh, my, this is a great way to organize my closet. It doesn't happen, okay? Not to mention, you have to have the material to begin with in the first place. Like, there's just the, the amount of order that our, our Earth, our universe has, is absolutely insane. Uh, the, the conditions that our Earth has to be able to support life are, are actually pretty fine-tuned. If you change a lot of things, just even a little bit, things like the levels of oxygen in our atmosphere, the gravitational pull um, that we're experiencing, the tilt of the Earth, the speed at which the Earth rotates, all these different things um, make it... If, if you even change those a little bit, our planet wouldn't even be able to support life. God has revealed himself in nature that way. Right? And that's not just it, right? Like, look at the human body. I mean, your DNA, like, if you guys took any biology class, like, it's ridiculous. Like, you know how, how, how crazy DNA is and, and, like, how your cells replicate and all this different kind of stuff? Like, how could all of that stuff have just come about out of nothing? There's no way. There's no way. You, you look at the nature, just in the, the things that we know uh, naturally even to be true, right? Like, there's certain things that, that we can't explain, but why does everybody believe that, that humans have some sort of greater meaning in life? Like, like, nobody really sees themselves the same as a cow. Like, that you have no more purpose in life, no more meaning than, than a random animal on a hill. You know, as much as somebody would like to say, yeah, humans are just another kind of animal, all you are is a bunch of chemicals and cells, you die, you die, so there's nothing more than that. I don't, know, I don't know how many people can really believe that there isn't something like a soul. You know, that, 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 there is, that there's no significance. If we were nothing more than chemical, chemicals, like, what's the significance of the things that we value the most in life? Things like love. Like, what even is love? How are we able to experience something like that? Like, is there any significance to life? Are emotions just physical chemi chemical reactions, or is there something more that they're pointing to in our soul? I think that all of these things are ways that God has proven himself through nature. I also look at logic, which is just simply we know that nothing plus nothing can't equal everything. It just doesn't happen, okay? Uh, where did all of the matter in our universe come from? Where did the energy come from? Even, even uh, kind of more abstract things like morality. What is morality and how do, you, how do you come to something like that if there is no God that has established it? Why do we all know that it's wrong to murder? And, you know, I'll have people tell me, it's, oh, it's because it's a survival mechanism. And it's like, we've all decided that that's what morality is so we can survive better. But there are certain cases where it's to your benefit to murder um, non-contributing members of society. And people like the Nazis actually wanted to do things like that. But somehow we intrinsically know that that's wrong. Where does that come from? God's proven himself uh, through miracles as well. I mean, the resurrection, the resurrection is, 
a miracle that happened that, that there's a lot of good evidence for. Frankly, I have no idea how Christianity would exist if not for the resurrection. Like, why would the disciples all go and die for something that they knew was a lie? Every one of them staked their life on the fact that not only did someone, it's not like someone told them that Jesus rose from the dead, right? A lot of people will die for something that someone tells them and they believe, but they're saying, no, I saw this. Like, I, I saw that Jesus rose from the dead, and I'm going to devote the rest of my life telling people about this. And when I'm, when I, I, I'm on trial, when I'm being killed, whatever, like, I will not recant because I know that this is something that I saw. That's much different than dying for something that someone else told you and you came to believe. You know, and there's lots of other things I can go through for the resurrection if you want to talk more about that afterwards. Um, there are tons of miracles in, in the biblical times that we see, but also there are stories of miracles that still happen today, okay? And now I can't tell you that I have personally witnessed them, but I, I have people that I trust who have either witnessed them or been told by other people that they trust that they have witnessed them, okay? And I know sometimes when you read the Bible, it seems like a miracle is happening on the other page. That's not the case. First off, the Bible is covering thousands of years of history, okay? So the number of miracles that you see in the Bible, it's not like they were some super common occurrence, okay? Um, so if you haven't seen a miracle, don't think that that's contradictory to what the, what the Bible is, the experience the Bible paints. Um, and, and honestly, the miracle that all of us get to see is creation. I've already kind of gotten into some of this, but um, man, that's the one miracle where it's like just completely unexplainable that all this stuff exists, yet somehow it does. God's proven himself through prophecy. Uh, man, you can look at the Bible. The Bible has all sorts of fulfilled prophecies. I remember uh, when I was in middle school and I first started taking the Bible and, and I started to study it seriously, uh, I remember being fascinated and, and convinced that this really was the word of God that I was reading. And fulfilled prophecy was part of what did that. Um, the book of Daniel has uh, some amazing things. I remember that was one of the ones that really got me excited. And, and some of the prophecy in it wasn't even about things like Jesus. It'd be things like, that's Alexander the Great, the, the bust there. Um, if you look, go read Daniel chapter 8. If you don't know your history very well, read it with a commentary and, and understand how Alexander the Great operated and other things like the, the Persian Empire. And uh, he, Alexander the Great wasn't part of the Persian Empire, but um, he was what came after that. If you look at some of the ways that history unfolded, Daniel predicts this stuff perfectly, okay? And even if you're a skeptic of that, look at things like Isaiah 53, something that we know, like for sure, the book of Isaiah existed hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. Go read Isaiah 53. It is creepy how accurately it predicts what Jesus did. You can look at all these kinds of prophecies that, uh, that, that are in the Bible, and it makes it trustworthy. Yes, this really is the word of God. God has proven himself through that. And finally, God's proven himself through experience. Um, I, I don't know where each of you guys are in, in your Christian walks. I would assume that most of you in this room have probably had some sort of experience where God revealed himself to you. And I'm not, I don't necessarily mean that means an experience like what Gideon had where he was speaking with the angel of the Lord. But in some way, God has proven himself to you. You've had some sort of experience like, man, God had to have been here in this. I have seen that over and over again. I remember one time in, when I was a student at Bowling Green, I was, uh, I, I was feeling distant from God. I was disappointed. I felt like he wasn't showing up in my life. And I just took some time to pray and think, like, God, like, just, like, how have you shown yourself to me? I was kind of angry. 
And so I wanted to start writing out a list. And I started to write like two things. And all of a sudden I realized, I'm going to be here all night <laughs> if I actually do this. It, just as I started to think back on the ways that God has shown himself to me in my life. And, and I have seen people that have had lives that are transformed by the power of the gospel. You guys get to sit here almost every week. We have somebody come up front here and share about things that God has done in their life. People from all different backgrounds. And you've seen the transforming power of the gospel. Uh, one of the great testimonies to me is the way that God's transformed my in-laws. Um, Cassie's parents were, uh, are people that have no business being where they are in life right now, to be honest. Uh, they got pregnant when they were 18 with their older sister. They were into drugs. Uh, her father was probably could be considered an alcoholic at the time. Um, and they got pregnant with her sister. By God's grace, they decided to get married and actually stayed married. I have no idea how. Uh, through the first eight years where neither of them were following the Lord at all. Um, and about eight years into their marriage, they became Christians, and they are transformed people. Um, I, like, I, I don't know, I'm almost getting teary thinking about this. But like, just to think about uh, the way that they have, have been transformed. Um, I think about how uh, Cassie's life would be different if God had not transformed their lives. <clears throat> and I think that you guys probably have people in your life that you've seen like that as well. <clears throat> so, despite all the ways that we've seen God show himself, we still struggle with doubt. We still struggle, just like Gideon did. It still takes faith to follow the Lord, right? The Apostle Paul told us that we walk by faith and not by sight. So you have two options you can do here. One, you can let fear and doubt paralyze you. You can choose to do nothing. Gideon could have chosen to do that, right? He could have continued hiding from the Midianites. He could have continued beating out his wheat in the wine press, waiting for his people to starve out. Or he could, despite his doubt, Trust that God is who he says he is. He could trust that despite the nagging fears, the nagging doubts that he had, that he would believe that God was going to deliver them. And man, for Israel's sake, he chose number two. And I'm just sitting here thinking, who, who in your life needs you to choose option number two? Who needs you to get up off the couch? To stop being plagued by the fears and the doubts that you have and trust that God is who he said he is. To trust that he will actually be with you as you go and make disciples. <coughs> Man, when Gideon chose to have that faith, it certainly affected Israel. And I wonder, man, if you have that faith, who's it going to affect? If you lack having that faith, who's it going to affect? We live in a city and on a campus that is encapsulated in darkness. You guys are surrounded by people that do not know Jesus. They are slaves to their sin. They are oppressed by Satan. The brokenness in our world is extreme and you know it. Because you experience it and you see it in the lives of people. And we have a God that can deliver. 
We have a God that can, can bring us out of that. And, and the question is, are we going to let our doubts and our fears stop us? Or are we going to look at the ways that God has proven himself? And even though we still have to walk by faith, we're going to say, it's enough. I believe. And I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to trust that God will do what he said that he would. Because you know what? Just like Gideon, we're not extraordinary. Maybe some of you are. But <laughs> most of us, most of us, we're not extraordinary, right? But we serve a God who is. We serve a God who is. And man, if we abide in him, we can be fruitful. So if you guys would pray with me, and, and, and just as we go into this worship time, I want you to be thinking about what I've been saying here. I want you to be thinking, who is it that needs me to pick option number two? Who is it that needs me to, to throw aside the doubts and the fears that I have? And, and that, that needs me to, to go and share, to go and make disciples. And man, maybe you're in here today and you're like, I, I don't even know if I'm a disciple. Like, I don't even know any of this stuff. I, just, I don't know if I believe, man. I've presented to you some evidence. I'd love to talk to you more about it. If you're convinced, then I, I, I implore you. Man, lay down your shackles, lay down your sin, lay down your brokenness. Come to Jesus. He's the one that, that can deliver. He's the God that brought Israel up out of Egypt. He's the God that can bring you out of your sin and your brokenness. Talk to your friend that brought you today. You wandered in here by yourself. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ. He loves you. And he can defeat the oppressor of sin and Satan. And ultimately, one day, we're going to get to reign with him. And man, I look forward to that. But until that day... Let's be people that live by faith. Pray with me. God, we love you. And uh, God, we just want you to be glorified. God, we want our praises to honor you. We want to be people that live by faith. God, we, we ask that you'd help us. God, we, we are plagued by unbelief. We are plagued by doubt. But God, I just pray that you would forgive us of that. And God, that you would give us the power to, to live out of what we know to be true, even when it seems like we can't feel it, even when it seems like you vanished, even when it seems like we have no idea where you are. God, remind us that you're with us. Be with us, Lord. We know that you are. Help us to know that. We love you so much, God. We lift this up your son's awesome name.